Welcome to All Bones Considered, podcast number one, the beginning of Laurel Hill. I'm Joe Lex, your host for All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories. Laurel Hill Cemetery is a National Historic Landmark, an Arboretum, a Sculpture Garden, a Nature Preserve, and an Active Cemetery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It opened in 1836 and remains a popular visiting spot for thousands of people every year. Its younger sister, West Laurel Hill Cemetery, located across the Schuylkill River in Balakinwood, was founded in 1869, and it has a history and a population of its own. Join me for the next 20 minutes or so and find out about the origins of Laurel Hill Cemetery. Benjamin Franklin once remarked, show me your cemeteries and I will tell you what kind of people you have. Most people who walk through the gatehouse into Laurel Hill Cemetery for the first time are struck by the expanse and the greenness of the place. Our 78 acre property stretches between Ridge Avenue on the east and Kelly Drive on the west and between the neighborhoods of East Falls to the north and Strawberry Mansion to the south. It's a large, open, green space with more than 75,000 inhabitants, hundreds of statues, miles of paved roads, and 850 trees in the middle of a very modern city. One of the first questions to pop into your mind will be, how in the world did this place get here on one of the most beautiful pieces of land on the East Coast? Well, to give you that answer, this first edition of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories is a brief history lesson about the cemetery's founding in 1836. I'm Joe Lex, and I'll be your host today for what I hope to be a series of monthly informative podcasts. The year is 1836 in the United States. It's our 60th year as a union. Andrew Jackson of Tennessee is our seventh president. Martin Van Buren of New York is the eighth vice president. Roger Tawney of Maryland has just been appointed the fifth Chief Justice in March, while James K. Polk of Tennessee, later the 11th President, is Speaker of the House. The Battle of the Alamo had occurred in February and March, where Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, and William Travis had fought and died. But Texas declared independence from Mexico, and Sam Houston was elected President of Texas in October of 1836. In June, Arkansas became the 25th state to be admitted to the Union. The United States population is around 14 million, but there are more than 2 million slaves. New York is the most populated city with more than 200,000 inhabitants. The average lifespan at birth is about 40, but if you reached age 5, you had a good chance of living until you were 60. The main causes of death in all ages were malaria, smallpox, tuberculosis, and cholera. In 1836, the city of Philadelphia ran from the Delaware River to the Schuylkill River and Cherry Street to South Street, roughly 20 by 25 blocks. That's an approximate rectangle of 2.3 square miles. Philadelphia had more than 80,000 people and was the third largest U.S. city after New York and Baltimore. But contiguous to Philadelphia were the seventh largest city, Northern Liberties, and Southwark, the tenth largest city. They became part of Philadelphia in 1854. 
the rest of Philadelphia County had more than 160,000 people, twice as many as the city itself. They were in 13 townships, seven boroughs, and eight districts. The University of Pennsylvania, which had been chartered in 1755, had its campus at 9th and Market. For entertainment, there were three main theaters, the Chestnut Street Theater on 6th, across from Congress Hall, the Walnut Street Theater, which opened in 1812 and is still standing and in use at 825 Walnut, and then in 1828, the Arch Street Theater. The Academy of Music was 21 years away. City Hall, we know now, would not be completed for 65 years. There was one bridge over the Schuylkill at Market Street. It had opened in 1805. There were no bridges over the Delaware. The mayor was John Swift, a Whig. He was the 61st mayor, and he's buried at Christ Church. The governor, David Rittenhouse Porter, the ninth governor. He's buried in Harrisburg. And the two centers were Jacksonian Samuel McKean, who's buried in West Burlington, and Democrat James Buchanan, who was later the 15th president. He's buried in Lancaster. What were the wages for somebody in Philadelphia? If you were a blacksmith, you could make up to $1.75 a day. Masons were skilled labor. Masons made up to a dollar and a half a day. Common laborers, such as in a cotton mill, 87 cents a day. Cost of living was cheap, though. Rice was five cents a pound. Eggs were 20 cents a dozen. Milk was less than five cents a quart. Good pair of work boots, though, would cost you four bucks, but overalls were 70 cents a pair. Now, technically, 1836 was still the Georgian era, as Queen Victoria did not ascend to the throne until June 1837. She served, of course, until her death in 1901, and this 63-year period is known as the Victorian era. Laurel Hill is considered a Victorian cemetery. Before the founding of Laurel Hill, most Philadelphians were buried in one of three places, depending on their social and economic status. Wealthy landowners could rest in private family plots at their country estates, like the Logan Burial Ground at Stenton or the Harriton Cemetery in Bryn Mawr. The poor, along with religious and racial minorities, were often banished to the potter's fields on public land. If the city started to reclaim these potter's fields, and you know them now as Washington Square, Franklin Square, and Logan Square. Now, there were a few alternatives, such as workers' association cemeteries or small private cemeteries, but most Philadelphians favored the burial grounds associated with their church. The system worked well enough until the Industrial Revolution came along. Suddenly, the city's population was booming, available space was running out. More people living meant more people dying, fewer open spaces meant there just wasn't anywhere to put them. With the demand for burial space far outpacing the supply, churchyards became overcrowded, filthy, and dangerous. At one point, there were more than 200 burial grounds within the city limits, taking up almost 10% of the acreage. When Christ Church at Second and Market ran out of room at its churchyard, it bought more land on what was then the outskirts of town, Fifth and Arch. They buried more of their members there, including Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Rush, several other founding fathers. But that, too, soon filled. Well, cemetery crowding was not specific to Philadelphia. It was happening all over the world. 
some London churchyards were raised up three meters higher than their original level, thanks to the overwhelming number of bodies being buried in a dwindling space. In worst cases, coffins were stacked on top of one another, with the ones at the top sometimes being covered by scarcely more than a few inches of dirt, and the ones at the bottom were being crushed and split open. The first so-called garden cemetery was Père Lachaise in Paris, France, which opened in 1804 on what was then the outskirts of the city. Mount Auburn Cemetery was the first rural or garden cemetery in the United States. Opened in 1831, located between Cambridge and Watertown in Middlesex County, Massachusetts, four miles west of Boston. When we think of the term churchyard today, we might picture a quiet, green, orderly patch of ground surrounding a country chapel. Although the terms graveyard and cemetery are sometimes used interchangeably, a graveyard is usually contiguous to a churchyard, while a cemetery or a sleeping space is separate from the church. At the height of the graveyard crisis, bodies piled up whenever illnesses swept through cities, and there was little anyone could do about it. Some religions don't allow for cremation, but at the same time they demand a proper burial near a church. It was clear that something had to change. One man had a particularly troubling encounter with a Philadelphia graveyard. His name was John J. Smith, a librarian, editor, and horticulturist. He was a grieving father who had lost a young daughter to illness. He buried her in the Friends Burial Ground at 4th and Cherry Street, but was horrified to see the state of the place upon revisiting her grave. He wrote a heart-wrenching account in his diary about the conditions. On recently visiting Friends Graveyard in Cherry Street, I found it impossible to designate the resting place of a darling daughter. What Smith found was that the grounds were upturned and muddy. There were flooded open graves, and because so many graves were unmarked, he had to count plots to try to find his daughter's resting place. He later discovered that he'd been weeping over the grave of the wrong person. The graveyard had been in use since 1701. It had nearly 20,000 bodies crammed into less than half a city block and was poorly maintained. Smith further wrote, This determined me to endeavor to procure for the citizens a suitable, neat, and orderly location for a rural cemetery where each individual or family might have a lot in fee simple to bury their dead. Thus came the inspiration for Laurel Hill Cemetery. The site would be picturesque and landscaped, not muddy and in total disarray. It would be peaceful and green like a park, not crowded and hectic and flooded. Graves would be well marked by magnificent sculptor and stone, not left to wallow in obscurity. In essence, he wanted everything to be different. In Smith's diary, he further wrote more about his daughter's gravesite at the Friends Burial Ground. He described how a relative of his was obliged to identify the exhumed body of Smith's little girl because the caretaker couldn't be sure he'd open the correct grave. Her grave had also been flooded, and Smith described the extreme unease he or anyone would feel about burying their loved ones in what basically amounts to a watery pit. John J. Smith worked along with Frederick Brown, founder of the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy, Benjamin Richards, a former mayor of Philadelphia, and businessman Nathan Dunn to identify appropriate land. 
They decided on a 32-acre parcel laying along the Schuylkill River and Ridge Pike, about three and a half miles outside the city limit. Nathan Dunn spent $15,200 for Laurel Hill, the former estate of Joseph Sims. The 20 acres between Ridge Pike and the Schuylkill River would become Laurel Hill Cemetery. Now we recognize it as the North Section. The next step was finding a landscape architect. They hired a 25-year-old Scottish immigrant named John Notman, whose design was chosen over that of the more established local architects. The Roman Doric gatehouse he designed still stands at the Ridge Avenue entrance, as does the grounds layout of circles and curving roads. Well, how were burials different in Laurel Hill? At Laurel Hill, where he eventually moved his daughter, Smith envisioned the landscape grounds, the well-tended walkways, scenic river overlooks, and plenty of tree cover, what we would now think of as a park. But at the time, Fairmont Park did not exist. It would be a place for people wanted to be, not a place full of foul odors and unsafe terrain. And although Smith was Quaker, he insisted that the cemetery administration have no religious affiliation. Besides, Quakers didn't put much stock in marking the graves of the dead, or at least not marking them with anything other than a simple stone. Smith disagreed with his faith on this. He felt small markers weren't always an adequate representation of the grief felt by families or the impression a deceased person could leave on the world. Markers of all kinds were allowed, even encouraged, at Laurel Hill, which is part of what makes this such a magnificent place to visit. Families with the means to do so could commission a stately mausoleum, a beautiful sculptured angel, an impressive obelisk, or an underground crypt. Laurel Hill also had a receiving vault, a building to house the remains of the deceased until their grave space was ready. Before mechanized digging was available, it was nearly impossible to bury someone in frozen ground. So the body would be placed in the receiving vault until such time as a grave could be dug by hand. In other cases, bodies were placed in the vault to await completion of a family mausoleum. How much did it cost to be buried at Laurel Hill? A lot, considering the times. 50 cents per square foot for the plain area, 75 cents per square foot for the fancy area where there was a lot of shrubbery. This was more than twice as much as any other cemetery in town. The largest plots were a thousand square feet. They cost from 500 to $750. The smallest plot, eight foot by 12 foot, was $36. But that was still several months wages for an average laborer. And the plots were for family only. No single individuals were allowed to purchase one. How is Laurel Hill different from modern cemeteries? Well, when you wander our grounds, you'll notice the gravestones are not in orderly lines. There are circles, ovals, winding roads. The headstones and monuments are pointing in all directions. Some family lots have fences or walls or tall shrubbery. Others have no ornamentation. What looks very plain on the surface, maybe a modest marker or two, may actually mark the resting place of 40 or 50 or even 70 members of the same family in a gigantic crypt below your feet. Victorian garden cemeteries were designed to highlight and enhance the natural beauty of the cemetery, not so much to make it easy to find a specific headstone by walking in a straight line. Still, Laurel Hill technically is a modern cemetery because we still have burials here. 
not to the degree that we did in Victorian times, but people today still choose to spend eternity in our green garden. In addition to his fee, architect John Notman was rewarded with a prime burial plot just inside the main gate in Section M. Co-founders Brown, Richards, and Dunn are also buried at Laurel Hill. What about the founder, John J. Smith, and his darling daughter? They are at West Laurel Hill, just across the road from the conservatory in Carillon. Wait, what's West Laurel Hill? Remember, in 1869, Smith acquired land across the Schuylkill River from Laurel Hill Cemetery, which by then had expanded to its current 78 acres by adding South Laurel Hill and Central Laurel Hill to its original 20 acres. The new Laurel Hill is celebrating its 150th birthday in 2019. As with Laurel Hill, John J. Smith chose the location of West Laurel Hill for its unique geographical character. Nearly 200 acres of gently rolling hills and mature trees and plantings, together with historic architectural features, hundreds of mausoleums, sculptures, and wildlife create a true year-round pleasure garden. One thing has never changed. Laurel Hill is for the living as well as the dead. We welcome joggers, bicyclists, dog walkers, photographers, families, genealogists, historians, and any taphophile curious about what lies beyond our gates. Laurel Hill is a National Historic Landmark, a Sculpture Garden, and a Certified Arboretum. But then not every cemetery offers a costumed 5K race, a Halloween black tie party, the Gravedigger's Ball, and ghost hunting expeditions, music, dance, concerts, movie nights at the cemetery. Laurel Hill has been here for a long time, but as the world has changed around the cemetery, the cemetery has changed too. Laurel Hill Cemetery is also no longer nearly four miles out of town. It's located at 3822 Ridge Avenue in the East Falls section of Philadelphia. It's just a block from the SEPTA 61 bus stop at Ridge and Allegheny. Admission is free, as is the parking and the lot across the street. West Laurel Hill Cemetery is at 225 Belmont Avenue in Balakinwood, with parking available at the main entrance and at the bell tower. Both Laurel Hills are open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. from May to October, and 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. November through April. You can wander on your own or take one of more than 100 guided tours given by knowledgeable volunteer guides every year, or download the app for each cemetery and chart your own way across the property. You can find out more, including some upcoming tours, at www.thelaurelhillcemetery.org or www.westlaurelhill.com. Once you've fallen in love with these hotspots, become a friend of Laurel Hill. Then you get the opportunity for several members-only special tours that are conducted each year, including some out of town. They may be cemeteries, but they are a couple of the liveliest spots in town. I hope you've enjoyed this inaugural episode of All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories. Next time, I want to tell you the tale of a 19th century physician, scientist, polar explorer, and national hero his star-crossed passion for a young spiritualist, and his youthful death accompanied by national mourning. 
I'm Joe Lex, reminding you to keep body and soul together until next time on All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories, where the plot thickens.